how self-aware do you believe that you are? There's a good chance that as I ask that question, you instantly have a response of, I'm incredibly self-aware. I know where I'm at. I know what I'm doing. I know why I do what I do. And while that very well could be true, I would like to encourage you to keep your mind open and expand the possibility of just how self-aware you really could become. I ask you to do that because today's episode is all about heightening your emotional intelligence as it pertains to cultivating self-awareness. So, in order to really dive into self-awareness, I believe it's imperative to look at knowing yourself. And ultimately, what does it mean to know yourself? It's easy to potentially just skip right over this, right? That it's rhetoric, that there's no actual meaning or depth to it. As I made mention to start the episode, it's very easy to say, sure, I know myself. I'm incredibly self-aware. There's a good chance you're even thinking, well, I know who I am. Isn't that just what self-awareness really is? While that is one component, it is my belief that it's much deeper than that. You shouldn't be so certain. In this moment, do you know why you behave the way that you do? Do you have an internal guidance that drives your decisions? How do you really feel about yourself and the people that are in your lives? And then how do we really feel about ourselves and the people that come into our lives? It's interesting. It's interesting when you begin to peel back the layers of what we believe to be true, what we think is true, and the response rate based off that bias that every one of us carry around. I would like to take just a moment and define what I view self-awareness to really be. Obviously, awareness as a whole is a knowing about what's happening around you. The environment you're in cars in motion, just things. But self-awareness is ultimately knowing what you are experiencing. Another way to look at that is self-awareness is the ability to know what we are doing as we do it and understand why we're actually doing it. Occasionally, I'll use the terms back and forth between self-awareness and conscientiousness. I believe they can be used almost interchangeably. From a stance of looking at them interchangeably, what would the opposite of consciousness be? Right? If you're a conscious individual, you're, you're, you're very conscientious of what's going on. Well, the opposite of that would be unconscious. And if you're unconscious and you're lacking a certain amount of self-awareness. I know this is a polarizing topic for conversation. Almost anything based around psychology is. And the whole understanding of this show is that if you consider what is possible and you attempt to consistently implement what I'm sharing with you, there would be very little necessity to pay for personal development coaching. I truly believe that. With the episodes that I share, the content and the context in which it comes to you, life can be your playground. You might not believe that. 
You might not believe that because a tremendous amount of research has been done to prove the extraordinary range of unconscious biases and ultimate blind spots that you and I have as human beings. What becomes fascinating from that standpoint is that despite your and my absolute internal confidence in our self-knowledge, as it sits, we're usually wrong. Another way to look at that is you and I just aren't as self-aware as we may think. But why is that? Why would we lack self-awareness when it's something that obviously has such tremendous benefit to both you and I? I mean, self-awareness is the ultimate foundation for almost all emotional intelligence, self-leadership, and mature adulthood. Mature adulthood, as it sits, is a very fascinating conversation. If I look statistically, as you are listening to this show, your parents most likely gave birth to you sometime before they were 25. That doesn't mean that they were good or bad. That's just the facts. Those are statistics. Another statistic to share with you is that psychologists and researchers have proven over and over again that the average, average mature adult doesn't obtain that level of of emotional intelligence to be classified as a mature adult until after they're 35 years old. That means that as you were growing up, your parents were instilling in you their best belief system possible, which just wasn't quite fully matured. There should be no secret, no question now as to why we're only all doing the best that we can with the information we've been given. But from this standpoint, we can begin to grow and develop. Self-awareness is a skill. And any skill that exists goes through four primary stages. Those four primary stages are fairly well documented, with the first stage being unconscious incompetence. That's basically that when you start something new, you actually have no idea just how poor you are at it. If you don't believe this to be true, go to your local music store, pick up a guitar that you've never played before, and begin to attempt to play your favorite song. You will probably in that moment realize just how unconsciously incompetent you really are. But it's because of that discomfort that this incompetence brings that the majority of people will avoid learning new things without some sort of tribe to support them. That's the same thing as you learn self-awareness. That's why so many people don't ever go through life developing self-awareness. But self-awareness in itself is a foundational skill that is truly essential to anyone interested in authentic personal development. So the key to developing self-awareness is the same as with building any skill you could ever want to. You're going to have to have a level of consistency in attempting to execute proven methods, mindsets, systems, and processes. 
Thankfully, there are countless self-awareness activities and exercises that have been divined, I'm sorry, designed to increase your sensitivity to what is going on inside of you at every level. In addition to the steps I'm going to share with you, which are 10, 12, maybe 14, that are all incredible self-awareness activities, do some research on your own. Head over to Google, type in self-awareness activities, begin to learn some yourself. But in order to implement those, I feel like it is imperative that I share just a small tour of how our brain works. Because most people that I have come across, clients, friends, family, when they state that they know themselves, like, yeah, I know myself, of course, maybe the same way you did to start this episode. Most people are referring to the way that they view their mind. That's okay. And that's okay because there's been a cultural bias that has existed that has pushed us since the age of enlightenment, right? The nine, or the 1700s towards simply reason, logic, and cognition. But that itself is only a part of the story that exists. In order to understand the full map of the story, I really need you to know the three main parts of the brain. The basal ganglia, the limbic system, and the neocortex. Your neocortex is the thinking part of your brain. It's going to control all of your language, all your reasoning, your thought. This is where the conscious decisions are created, meaning you can draw on it at will. This is the part that as you need to establish rituals and patterns, habits and processes, that will move you away from the carnal responses you have, this is the part that fires. This is why something like the optimized aid is so important to do every day. This is why using something called the frame is so important to do every day. This is why implementing the observation tower every week is so important. You are literally beginning to reprogram and highly leverage your neocortex, i.e. tapping into your consciousness to pull out the things that will serve you in the future. You're going to need to do that because the second part, that limbic system, is the emotional epicenter of your brain. It stores all the value judgments that you make. It also stores the memories of the behaviors that produced both positive and negative experiences. This is where that amygdala resides. Right, that part that's a fight or flight response. The part that remembers when you got burnt from the hot stove and so anytime you step near a stove, you're apprehensive. You're nervous. You're tentative because you don't want to get burned. And while the amygdala serves a great, great amount for us in our lives, most people are actually captivated and kept in fear based off of things that have happened in the past and the response your brain stores instead of being propelled forward by a vision of what could be in the future. All that's some of the work from Dr. Joe Dispenza, but actually lines up perfectly with how our brains are really wired. This information that comes to you from your limbic system is subconscious. Right? You don't have to think aware with any sort of awareness not to touch a hot stove. It's awareness that's just below the surface of, it's information that's just below the awareness level from the surface. The basal ganglia might be a new term for you. Certainly at one point it was for me. 
the basal ganglia ends up being the instinctual center of your brain. And the information from this part actually travels from your gut to the primitive region without going through any of the other brain regions. So if you've heard me discuss before, and Dr. Mark Atkinson, the head of the Human Potential Institute, gets into tremendous research on this in some of his books, but also inside the Human Potential Institute, and that's humanpotentialinstitute.com forward slash optimize for more information on what he does, his work, and the training that can be brought to your sense of awareness. That basal ganglia that has the gut-brain connection is where mostly unconscious information gets transmitted. Well, that means you generally can't access the information. If you have an inflammatory response upon eating food that's not healthy for you or doesn't agree with your system, that inflammatory response is going to travel from the gut up to the basal ganglia to then slow down your cognition, potentially increase your heart rate, make your palms sweat, make you gasp for air. All those things are generally not information that you can just pull from. It exists as though it's just there. So in order to build self-awareness, the most efficient way to do it is to strengthen your conscious connection to all three of your brain regions. Let's talk about that just for a second. I shared something called the optimized eight. Those are daily habits, rituals, and patterns that tie into that front part, that neocortex, that thought-based center of your brain. Part of those systems and processes that exist inside the optimized eight ends up being meditation, which ends up tying into your heart, your emotional structure, which is a limbic system conversation, just as journaling is. As we look at the optimized date, there is also a component that is based around digesting and ingesting an organic, healthy, fresh, green smoothie. That is an unconscious decision that's going to increase your gut response, which is a function of instincts that comes from your basal ganglia. As we look at something like the frame to take a negative event and reframe around it to find a positive message on the backside that is a heightened sense of awareness of the connection between your heart and your mind. When you do it consistently, you're rewiring your neocortex, having more efficient thoughts, and figuring out how to heighten the connection between your heart and mind. The things that I teach and share, the tools and systems that I have built, are not for my amusement. They're not because I inherently think that I have it all figured out. What I do know is that systems and processes, coupled with a heightened sense of awareness and efficient and effective tools to maximize how our brain works, will leverage us into a heightened ability of what's possible. All these self-awareness activities end up increasing the connections in various parts of your brain. And as they all become heightened, they all work more efficiently together. If you want more information on anything that I've shared so far or anything that's coming, do yourself a favor, hop over to OptimizedLifeShow.com 
and download the completely complimentary free resources that exist for you. Not only are every one of my episodes fully transcribed, realizing there's a good chance you're a visual learner, but we also go as far as to dissect the information and create a value-added PDF that creates a little worksheet for you to expand your capabilities. All these can be found on OptimizeLifeShow.com, the completely commented resource for everything that is the Optimize Life Show. That's OptimizeLifeShow.com. I would also appreciate it if you do me a small favor. If you're listening to this on an Apple device, go ahead and leave me a five-star review. Press pause right now. Go back to the main podcast page and leave a five-star review. The more reviews I get, the better the potential ranking for the show, and the better the ranking, the more people that listen. This is a completely complimentary resource that takes me six to ten hours of time a week. All I ask in return, all I ask from you is to listen, to do some work, to become a better version of yourself, and leave a review. Leave a five-star review and leave a written review so that as people are curious about what this show is, they can get an honest insight before they have to listen. Appreciate you very much. Leave that five-star and written review. Head over to OptimizeLifeShow.com or take a look at the Human Potential Institute forward slash optimize. There's some incredible things for self-awareness to go on there, including a complimentary two-part course. Now I want to share with you why I believe that most self-awareness activities, most personal development then, most life betterment courses fall flat on their face. I believe that happens because most of them attempt to only target the neocortex. Meaning it's only thought driven. It's only front of mind driven. But if your goal is to become more conscientious of what's driving your behavior and have a better understanding of self, and from having a better understanding of self, have a better understanding of everyone, you would need to do much more than just work on your neocortex. You'd actually have to increase your sensitivity to your emotions and your instincts. And neither one of those can really be accessed too efficiently with your conscious mind. When you have that, it's much easier to explore your thoughts, your beliefs, and your biases with much greater results. But that self-awareness always starts from your center. And as you begin to dive into mastering any of these skills, I believe it to be apparently important for you to dial into yourself first. A true centering practice is always the first step to increase your attention. And as your intention increases, so does your learning, your understanding, and your ability to deploy and develop what you have learned. There's a few different ways to get to your center and activate it, some easier than others for some people. The few that I've found that are fairly easy to deploy are a series of meditations, whether it would be something like Brain.fm, Mindful, Muse, but some sort of consistent meditative practice. Some people enjoy grounding, right? Going out to nature, taking your shoes and socks off, walking around in the grass, leaning your back up against a tree, and simply just being in the moment. 
And the one that I find most easy, scalable, and simple to do is just simple breathing. I do some box breathing in which I breathe in through my nose for four seconds, softly, calmly, extending my stomach, allowing the breath to fill my lungs and fill my body. Imagine it going to every cell. I hold on to that breath for four seconds. Then as I feel the energy building up, I exhale through my mouth, feeling the warmth come out, imagining that it's releasing all the negative thoughts and emotions that I have, only to wait another four seconds to breathe in in an effort to purify the air that's about to come. This simple process I will do for anywhere between three and seven, maybe eight minutes, just working on centering who I am and what I believe to be true. Pick any one of the three of those that you find to resonate with you the most in this current moment of time. As you do that, you'll f- and consistently deploy it, right? So much of what I share is all great in concept. But concept won't change your life. Having conversations or listening to this show inherently on its own will not make a new trajectory appear for you. What will be required is you actually taking consistent steps to driving yourself in a new direction by executing what it is that you've learned. So let me help you just for a moment as it pertains to meditation, that potentially meditation has confused you, it's eluded you, or you're just interested in knowing more about it. Mindfulness, as it pertains to meditation, has become incredibly popular much based off of how it's been proven to affect the brain. Mindfulness meditation as a statement will begin to develop the observer inside of yourself. This is essentially you placing your attention and awareness on a focal point in your body. This is actually where I began my meditative practice. This point that you're focusing on can be your breath. It can be your thoughts. It could be any information that's coming into any one of your five senses. Developing your ability to observe yourself is a key that you're going to have to have to develop self-awareness. Observing your mind is a requirement. And when you can activate that requirement, you begin to gain a unique and consistently evolving perspective on your own life's experiences. The main reason why we fight this, why you and I fight against this, is our ego. And our egos, my friend, act autonomously. You don't get to monitor the thoughts, feelings, actions, or behavior from moment to moment as it pertains to your ego. Most of us, it runs rampant. That ego was developed and designed when you were a child to keep you safe and protected. It served a purpose. But most of us never reevaluate where that ego came from or if it is continuously serving our greater good. Now, I'm by no means implying the fact that egos aren't positive. Having a healthy and driven sense of self-worth is imperative in order for you to execute on anything you ever want to at a massive level. What I find to not be beneficial is to have your ego driving your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions 
from a place that is not the current version of you. It's from the child that needs protected. As you continue in your life to practice a sense of observational meditation, you actually start to increase the amount of space between the doer of the action, the thinker of your thoughts, and the feelings of your feelings. As you observe that from your own seat, you begin to be able to monitor your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions with fairly complete objectivity. I find this to be incredibly fascinating in this exact moment of time on the back of some really horrendous shootings that have happened. There has been some mass, mass killings in the past seven days. I posted something on my personal Facebook page just giving statistics around gun violence and ownership. This was not to state that we don't have problems. This was not to state anything other than just general information to start to open up our channels for expanding our consciousness around something that is an emotionally triggered response for most of us. I share this because I fully realize I have my own bias from being a white male that is 35 years old that has had middle class or upper middle class upbringing his entire life. I know this so much that I've said this in the top line of my post. And that more importantly, I was using these words to gain new perspective because I don't claim to have anything figured out. As the post has been up now for the better part of 24, potentially even 48 hours as I record this episode. It is fascinating to see the number of people that feel compelled to comment with absolute truth as to what my post meant, as to the apparent leaving out things that fit certain rhetorics. And it continues on and on and on. The, the post has had much traction. What's fascinating is how few people actually have an observational self that monitors their thoughts, feelings, and actions with objectivity. Because if they were doing so, the statements would not be made in absolutes. There would not be the jabbing at other people. There would be more of an understanding that we are all connected. We're all growing. We're all expanding what we believe to be possible. And that the only absolute truth that may exist is there is no absolute truth. It's a phenomenally fascinating little experiment that I posted to see what would come of it as it pertains to self-awareness. The post itself was not about actually gun violence. None of it stated anything about the mass murders. I was curious to see the responses that would be created. 
I did this because I wanted to confirm the fact that we don't have an observing self unless we spend time to develop it. And that without this inner observer that sits in the seat of awareness inside of our own bodies, you can't ultimately develop self-awareness. It's just simply not possible. But that self-awareness comes with activities that actually begin to improve your mind-body connection. And reconnecting with your body and instincts is an imperative part of developing personal and self-awareness. And there's ways to do this, right? Yoga, Tai Chi, things like that. Those, those haven't been my ways to do it, but there are plenty of ways in which you can. This work, as it refers to experiencing self-awareness based off of an improved mind-body connection, was actually covered in Abraham Maslow's book, Towards the Psychology of Being. If you're curious at all in good, positive-based psychological reading, I heavily encourage you to hop on Amazon right now and buy this book. It's a very easy read. What Abraham Maslow shared in the 60s or 70s was this. Humans no longer have instincts in an animal sense. That powerful, unmistakable inner voice, which tells them unequivocally what to do, when to do it, where to do it, how to do it, and with whom. Authentic selfhood can be defined in part as being able to hear these impulse voices inside of oneself, and that is to know what one really wants or doesn't want, to know what one is fit for and what one is not fit for, etc., Maslow is essentially saying that we've lost that internal guidance system. And as he wrote his works in the 60s and 70s, I don't believe he would have any way of fully knowing just how badly this has morphed into something that we're all losing sense of self. Social media, comparisons, understanding that we're just reactionary to most things instead of being planted firmly in our own seat of awareness has left it that the majority of individuals that I begin working with have almost no trust or belief in their own intuition. I mean, an honest question for you right now, when is the last time you had a gut response? Your gut told you to do something and that you actually did it in a timely manner. Right? Those statements of trust your gut, your gut exists from the basal ganglia. They're connected. It's an unconscious trigger inside of you that then taps into your conscious, right? The limbic system, the emotions, your heart. And then from there, it gravitates towards the way you execute it. From a conscious process, it's mind-centered and thoughtful. All based around the neocortex. Things are going to have to change if you actually want to feel more holistically full. If you don't want to continue to compare yourself on social media. If you don't want to continue to be let let down led down a rabbit hole of disparity here we are on this in this path based around gun violence and i'm not saying that it doesn't exist because certainly it does but if we look at the actual statistical facts numeric values 
We currently live in the safest time in the past 60 years to be alive, almost 70. Gun violence as a whole is half of what it was in 1990. However, suicide is at an all-time high. Suicide with guns is at an all-time high. So while we feel more connected, while social media allows us to peer into other people's lives, it is quite obviously pushing us further and further and further away from ourselves. It's pushing us into these holes that we don't quite know how to get out of, and people at an astonishingly rapid rate are taking their lives. More than 22,000 people in 2018 ended their life with a firearm. There were less than 14,000 people that died at the hands of a gun from a homicide. It is almost a two-to-one ratio. If you think, as you listen to this show, that the work that you are doing on yourself does not have lifelong value, I would encourage you to consider reframing that. Especially if you plan on having children or if you already have them. The fact of getting to know yourself, creating systems and processes, doing things to better your ability to process trauma and painful moments that are going to come up. These are all things that are going to be able to be passed down to your children, to be mirrored by the people around you, to help you start to disconnect from social media and reconnect with yourself. All these things are important and not because I'm sharing them with you from my mouth to your ears. But because it has been stated that if nothing changes, nothing changes. And if things don't continue, better way to say that, things need to begin to change to move us in a different direction as human beings about the way we feel about ourselves. And I have some exercises I'm going to share with you now so you are able to get to know your personality and move yourself forward. So your personality is ultimately your collection of collective patterns. And those patterns include your thoughts, your beliefs, your feelings, your worldviews, your behaviors, and your tendencies. What's wild is your experiences and your environment end up conditioning these patterns into you. So as I've said, between 6 and 14, you are establishing all your patterns. You're getting those from the people that are closest to you. Unfortunately, you were getting those patterns from people that yet weren't developed as mature adults. They were most likely under 35 by the time you reached 14 years old. The patterns you were getting weren't yet established to serve you as a functional adult. And so what happens? We just perpetuate that into this generation. We feel shame and guilt and judgment if we don't get married post-college, right? 22 years old, you should be settled down. And what do you do two to three years after you get married at, at best? You have a baby. Now you're 25, 26. And even through a heightened sense of self-awareness, you still don't have the emotional maturity. The adult parts of you are not fully developed. And you stay stuck. 
And the fact that most of these patterns actually lie below the surface of your awareness makes it even more difficult. And so in order to get to know your personality, the best way to do it is to bring these patterns into your consciousness. And by bringing them into your consciousness, it's actually going to increase your self-awareness. So a couple things that I have that will increase your self-awareness as it pertains to your personality are doing things like self-reflection. Self-reflection, as I view it, would be something along the lines of taking some time each night in a quiet space in your home, apartment, condo, whatever it would be, and to truly reflect on the behavior you have exhibited for that day. Ask yourself the questions on how do you perceive yourself? Then how do other people perceive you? And ultimately, what could you learn from observing your behavior that day? day. My friend, it is not enough to say, oh, I do this, Ryan. I just do it mentally. That doesn't work. You need to write things down because it increases neuroplasticity and cognition. There's a connection between the paper, the pen, your hand, your eyes, and your brain that literally create a new neural pathway for you to be able to more adequately recall that moment in time. The only way for you to do that is to physically write it down. It's not enough to say, I, I laid in bed and I thought about it, I know the answer. That is a half-ass excuse that is going to get you half-ass results. The next thing to do in the evening is answer about some personal values you have. First one is what's most important to you. From that place, you can start to make better decisions. Of course, just yesterday, Monday, an episode came out based solely around your personal values. Because when you become aware of your personal values, you then can evaluate if you're living in accordance to them consistently every day. There's a chance as you go through this exercise, the answer is going to be, well, of course not. I'm nowhere close. That's step one. That's heightening your sense of awareness. Step two is then making meaningful and impactful shifts and changes around that sense of awareness to implement consistency and congruency across how you view yourself, the best version of self and your personal values, and where you're currently living, i.e., do things every day that make you feel like the best version of self, which then ties into your personal vision, another step to take. This is tapping into your ideal future self. And your ideal future self is your realized innate potential. That man I keep referring to, Abraham Maslow, had actually done research and found that self-actualized individuals all have an inherent sense of destiny that's pulling them towards a heightened outcome. So if you feel pushed forward every day and not pulled towards your desired outcome, I would heavily encourage you to start to look at what that really means to you. A great way to do this is to invest time to clarify your personal vision for the future. In past episodes, I have shared PDFs that actually walk you through this. One is an incredibly in-depth goal-setting worksheet. I believe this PDF is 27 to 30 pages long. It is not simple. It is not easy, but it is impactful. It gets you very clear on that ideal life, the one you've been afraid to write down, the one you're playing small against. 
Once you have that written down, you start taking alignment steps every day to drive you towards that goal. You're going to find that there's some days where you feel resistance and the resistance is created inside of your mind. It's not actually real. These typically come in the form of limiting thoughts and behaviors. The incredible doctor, Dr. Nicole LaPera, has created something called Future Self Journaling, which I have also shared. It's another PDF where you take the limiting belief, the thought, the thing that's in your mind that you know you need to change, and every day until you overcome that, 30, 45, 60 days, you're going to go through a journaling exercise to put that into its place. Those things happening in congruency with one another will create incredible changes in the way that you perceive yourself and what's possible for you in the future. This is another step, right? Journaling. Essentially, capture your inner thoughts. Capture those feelings. Journal them out. Because we have to get you clear on your personal narrative. And journaling helps that happen. See, your life story, as I view it, is a fundamental component of your personality. And the stories that you tell yourself about your life don't just shape parts of your personality. No, 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 my friend. They are actually your personality. Your thoughts become things. The stuff that fills the garden of your mind has massive inflection as you go forward. Go back and listen to the first episodes of this show until right now. All this builds on top of one another. The journaling. The gratitude. The Joe Dispenza work about auditing and monitoring what you fill in your mind and the fact of the cellular expression that's associated with that. The fact that you should be very wary of what you allow to enter your mind. A negative thought could exist, but instantly replace with a positive one because you get to choose to be happy or sad, mad or frustrated, propelled forward towards a vision or held back by a memory. These become more and more clear and prevalent as you begin to dive deeper into shadow work. Shadow work is unique, right? There's part of your psyche, your subconscious that you have turned away from because society as a whole, when we were young, our tribe, our community, has told us not to do certain things. Don't say certain things. Don't feel certain ways. That ends up being our shadow. You're a complex creature, just like I am. And there's a duality that exists inside of all of us. There's almost always opposing tensions, good and bad, positive and negative, light and dark. So for every aspect of your character that you identify with, there is an opposite or opposing quality of equal, sometimes even more strength that lives within your subconscious. Shadow work, by definition, actually brings those opposing qualities to light so that the negative ones don't influence your behavior going forward. Another great thing that I found that has increased awareness is monitoring your inner dialogue. It's going to sound crazy, but your mind actually has a family of inner voices. Some would refer to these as subpersonalities. And each one of these has their own thoughts, their own feelings, their own behaviors. There's different versions of yourself inside, just like there are inside of me. Having dialogue with these characters, literally creating names for them, personalities, identifying with them, 
than writing them out in a journal stating what makes them who they are will actually help you develop self-awareness from your emotional terrain. There is a book, I believe it's by a guy, I think his name is Jay Early. And the book is Self-Therapy that actually walks us through a step-by-step process if you're interested in getting to know the characters inside your mind that create your subconscious and how to navigate those waters, identify with them, and get them out. Then the final thing I want to bring to your to your awareness of mind right now is how to observe others. Right across the board, shadow work can be difficult. Like how do we look at the things we don't like about ourselves? A great way to start in practices is actually to observe, not to judge, but to observe others. I believe that the world that sits as a whole, we're all just mirrors of one another. And from that stance, we're all a lot more alike than we are different. And as we begin to observe other people, you can learn a lot more about yourself. Each one of these activities will help you get to know your personality. And that will help you develop and improve your interpersonal intelligence and help you build self-awareness. But I want to talk about gaining self-awareness through others for just a moment. One of the best ways to do this is from applying the things that I'm sharing now. Right, some of the things I share on this show and the other shows that I have are all ways to make that happen. Another thing to do is to hire a coach. Right? I mean, building awareness, responsibility, and self-belief is a goal of any good quality coach. And one of the primary ways that brilliant coaches help their clients build awareness is by giving effective and direct feedback. I don't care where you get your coach, your mentor, your person from, but that's an easy hack to get there. Another way to do it is as you practice shadow work, is to start by observing other people to begin with. If you're in a corporate world, consider using reviews as a chance to heighten your self-awareness. Be more open. Ask for more feedback. And let's say that you don't want to go down the coaching path and you don't work inside of a corporate environment. I get it. It's okay. You still deserve to feel better as well. So I have have questions that you can ask a trusted friend, a confidant, but it has to be someone you know, like, respect, and trust. Respect and trust become paramount because these questions open you up for vulnerability and you have to allow them to be able to share honestly. The first question I would have you ask is what behaviors do you believe are limiting your potential? Second question is how do you feel when you're talking to me? Third question is what do you think I'm good at? Fourth question is, what are some of my weaknesses? Fifth question is, if you had to describe me to someone, what would you say about me? And then really the most difficult one, the one that you'll see the biggest growth from, if someone will be honest with you, is, is there anything you've avoided saying to me 
because you are afraid of how I will react. When you open yourself up to someone and ask these questions and they feel comfortable giving you response and then you do something about it, life starts to change. But self-awareness, there's a couple things I want to remind you of. Self-awareness is a skill. And the skill is going to take time and work. But that skill will help you monitor your behavior and better understand your motives and ultimately yourself. And like any other skill that you might want to develop, developing self-awareness will require some methods and some consistency. Pick one, two, three things that I shared today and consistently stay on them for five weeks. See how you feel. The stronger your observing self will become, the more space you will have between your thoughts, your feelings, and then your actions. Another way to say that is you have probably noticed people that think something feel very triggered, right? That's a a heightened emotional response, which means they have heightened feelings, and then they lash out quickly, right? Not to cast dispersions or shadows on any person, but if you've seen someone that you would refer to as a quote-unquote keyboard warrior that sees something that you posted that triggers a, it has a thought for them, which triggers a feeling, and they start instantly pecking on that keyboard and attacking you, there's a chance that they would feel better if they could increase their self-awareness. But see, most people fail to develop self-awareness because they're not able to get centered and rooted in the seat of their own body. You must do that before doing any of these exercises. In order to make long-lasting, meaningful changes in yourself, you're going to need to also integrate the various regions of your brain as they help guide feelings, thoughts, and increase self-awareness. Those are some great ways to truly start to alter the path of awareness for you. Every client that I choose to work with, every path that we go down, Helping business owners get clear on how to make more money so they spend more time with their family without fear of losing their business, that's great. It's It's a marketing message. In order to do that, we have to get really clear on self awareness first. I help everybody go through a series of steps and processes that take anywhere between 25 and 35 days to really dial in the things that have held them back. So they can start to feel more holistically full, so they can get dialed into where they want to go. We can create systems and processes all day long together, my friend, as it pertains to your business. I can teach you how to have a podcast and speak eloquently or create marketing funnels, how to buy media traffic. We can do all that. But if you aren't working to increase your sense of awareness and drive yourself forward towards being the best version of self, and then helping others around you do the same, eventually all will implode and you'll feel like it's all for naught. My friend, this is Ryan Nidell wishing you truly unlimited success.